I have no idea how you follow that. <laughs> but I don't know about you, but I, I have a little bit of a problem with control. And uh, that's why I'm not running the children's pageant. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I find myself trying to, you know, control other people sometimes, trying to control outcomes, and then feeling myself in that interior state of bondage. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, if there's one thing for sure in life, it's that you can't control other people, and you can't control outcomes. And one place I think this shows up for me is in family gatherings, like around the holidays, because my family and I were spread out all across the nation. So I have, you know, family in Philly and Arizona and Minnesota and Wisconsin. And so when we get together, it makes sense that we all live, we've all left home in more ways than one. And so our conversations reflect that. We are all in divergent different places in our you know, thoughts and, and um, what, we're, what we're up to in life. And at times I'll find myself you know, replaying a conversation that I have had over the holidays with family and I'll find myself you know, a little bit worked up inside because I cannot believe these people that I call family are doing or saying or thinking the things that they are doing or saying or thinking. And I'll even get back home to Denver and I'll be you know, walking around Wash Park and it's a beautiful morning and the birds are chirping and I'm having this imaginary conversation in my head about how ridiculous something is. Am I the only one? I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> it seems many of us have this problem with control. We think we can control other people. We think, you know, if, if I'm just persuasive enough, if I just uh, am smart enough, if my argument is strong enough, if I'm convincing enough, then I can change my spouse, my kids, my siblings, my parents, my neighbors, my colleagues, my friends. And when all of our best efforts fail, to change others, we experience that you know, internal sort of bondage when we're longing for interior freedom. Uh, we all get kind of sick on the inside with our failed efforts at control. I saw this funny video, which is about how you and I look when we're trying to control things that we cannot control. Let's take a look. serene music, right? <laughs> there are at least three things we cannot control. Other people, outcomes, and God. The codependent part inside of you wants to convince you that you can in fact control these things, but maturity and adulting and growing in the mystery of faith is coming to accept the fact that actually you cannot. If I can control God, then that God must be, in fact, a God of my own making. In fact, the only kind of control the scriptures ever talks about in, a, in the sense of our pursuing it is self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. Every other form of control, it's like, it's like a waste of energy. It's like trying to mop up the ocean. 
It will not lead to the interior freedom that we long for. So in our passage of scripture from the lectionary on this third Sunday of Advent today, we meet a man who is struggling with not being able to control Jesus. He had some expectations of Jesus, and those expectations were not met. His name is John the Baptist, and every single Advent, we look at him. Every single Advent, it's like he is a regular main character as we consider this, you know, preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ. John the Baptist, not only was he a prophet, he also was the cousin of Jesus. So I imagine there were maybe perhaps some family dynamics going on. But John the Baptist has supported Jesus, has prepared the way for him, has baptized people into this way has even witnessed the spirit of the Lord descending on Jesus and hearing the voice from heaven, this is my son in whom I love, in him I will please. They have experienced some incredible things together. But at this moment, in our passage of scripture for today, in our gospel reading, in this moment, John the Baptist is in prison. Things are not looking good for him. It seems that John expected Jesus to rise up and bust him out of prison, get him out of jail, but Jesus has not done that. And John is coming to terms with the fact that he cannot control Christ. John is realizing he does not have the control over the Messiah that he maybe hoped he had. And so we read this from Matthew chapter 11. John, meanwhile, had been locked up in prison. And when he got wind of what Jesus was doing, he sent his own disciples to ask, are you the one that we've been expecting or are we still waiting? Jesus told them, go back, tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. Is this what you were expecting? Then count yourselves most blessed. John is in prison, not what he expected. He knows the the prophecy about Jesus, about the Messiah, and the prophecy says, you know, he's going to set the prisoners free, but you're not setting this prisoner free. So John is beginning in prison to doubt Jesus. John had prepared the road for the Messiah to restore the way of God, to restore the world to God's vision, but the method that Jesus is using is not at all what John or really anybody expected. And Jesus' response when John begins to to question, Jesus' response is this, he He says, go tell John what is going on. Go remind John of what is happening. In other words, Jesus is like, yeah, John, you're right. You you are in prison. That, That is real and that is true. This is not how you, John, would have planned things. But look around. Look around and notice what I am doing here. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. It's like Jesus is saying, can you renounce 
your need to control the narrative here, John. Wondering about you, how are you with this? How is your relationship with control, with goals for life for other people, your expectations of others, your hopes? How do you hold these things in your relationship with both God and with other people? Because really, when you look at the scriptures throughout the scriptures, we are meeting people just like us who are encountering circumstances, situations in life that they did not plan, that they did not expect. I mean, in the Christmas story, you just think about Mary. Think about the expectations that Mary likely had for the child she's waiting for. Because most parents have expectations for the child that they're waiting for. Your parents probably had expectations for you. What happens, though, when those expectations are not met? Like, what happens when parents receive an unexpected diagnosis for their unborn child? Or what happens when a child that you have loved just goes down a road of destruction and darkness? What happens when your child isn't caring for you or connected to you in the way that you had hoped as you age? What happens when God does not answer our prayers for the way we want things to be? Then what? Well, then we find ourselves in a sort of a prison like John, asking Jesus some questions about that. Because it is natural. Part of being human is that we, we have a lot of hope, you know, in each other, in other people, in our plans. And when circumstances and outcomes and others and life does not measure up to our expectations, we experience grief. We experience the loss of those hopes. It, it's tough. That is hard. Navigating the loss of, you know, goals that we had, expectations we had, hopes that we had for ourselves, for our children, for each other, for God, sometimes that absolutely rocks the foundation of our faith and our beliefs about the world and our beliefs about our place in the world. It's, it's almost like no matter what we do, life just keeps dishing up this lesson. It's this lesson of renouncing control or struggling with reality. This lesson of renouncing control over what God is doing. It's one of those lessons, it's like we're called to learn over and over and over again. And it's a tough one, and I think it's why we come back to John the Baptist every year in Advent, in this period of waiting. There's a woman, her name is Emily Pearl Kingsley. She's won many awards. Some of you may have read her uh, most famous essay. Um, she wrote an essay on having a son with Down syndrome. And she wrote this in 1987. It's, it's her personal story and um, her experience of having a differently abled child. And she titled this, A Trip to Holland. And I want to share it with you. Here is what she wrote. She said, I am often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability. 
to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. It's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks, make your wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Sistine Chapel, gondolas. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After several months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives and you pack the bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life, I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The important thing is that you haven't they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks, and you must learn a whole new language, and you will meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. It's just a different place. It's a slower-paced place than Italy, less flashy than Italy, but after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath and look around, you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. Holland has tulips. And Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy, and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that experience will never, ever, ever go away. The loss of that dream is a very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to go to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. I think this similar to what Jesus is saying to John? Yes, your reality is not what you planned. The pain of this experience will never, ever, ever go away. The loss of your dream for how this would go is very, very significant loss. But... If you spend your life mourning the fact that you are in prison, John, you may never be able to see what I am doing. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The dead are raised. These are very lovely things about Holland. And I think even if you are not the parent of a child with differing abilities, you probably have some area of your life where you can relate with this idea that you thought you were going to Italy and now you're in Holland. Because we all have those areas of our lives, the things we expect to happen, it just didn't. The things we expect to happen that don't, the life that 
that we expected to lead and didn't the church that was never supposed to change? And it did. You you think about the Messiah who was supposed to look like this, this king of glory and bust me out of prison, and he didn't do that. Or the baby that Mary carried just below her heart, who, whose life ought to look a certain sort of way and, and ends up dying a brutal death on a cross. Like, we belong, you and I, to a long line of human history who has experienced, who has carried, who has mourned these losses for centuries. Our expectations, our goals, They've taken detours in their outcomes. And we spend so much of our lives, you know, trying to control and, and control life to make sense of the realities of where we find ourselves. And we, we desperately believe, like, if, if we just try hard enough, we could control it all. And then there are those moments where you come face to face with the fact that you can't. We think sometimes, like, if I just close my eyes tight enough, long enough, and maybe, like, tap my red shoes together, I will wake up in Italy and not Holland. But I think what Emily Pearl Kinsley is saying in her essay, and what Jesus is saying to John, is like, what a waste. What a waste of the good news that God is active in all the places that we actually live. And we miss out on God's presence in Holland when we remain so focused on not being in Italy. Because God is leading us, but the destination is unknown. Maybe it's Holland, maybe it's Cuba, who knows where he's taking us. It's like what Advent is teaching us is that God is present with us on the whole journey. That God is ushering in a new way of life, even in the midst of the painful places and the old places. Advent is inviting us to encounter God in Holland, which is to say to encounter God in those places and those seasons of waiting, prison, pain, circumstances that we cannot control. And scripture is full of people in those very situations. I mean, think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's told she's going to give birth to to the Messiah. We read her remarkable response. Mary said this, Yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. Mary did not plan this. This was not anything that she expected, and yet her response shows that she willingly accepts what God has brought into her life. She is not fighting with reality. She is living in what is real and what is true and finding the sustaining presence of God there despite it not being something she wanted, despite it not being something she planned. I think one of the main reasons that we will struggle with this whole thing of of control is that so often we are, we're just like putting our worthiness 
in other people's hands? So if my worthiness is all tied up in what you think of me or my ability to get such and such done, if my sense of worthiness is all caught up in that, if my worthiness is tied to other people or, or outcomes, then I'm going to be just like that guy trying to mop up the sea. But if I start with a strong center, if you start with a strong center, a firm middle on the inside that says, my worthiness because of what God did in Christ for me, my worthiness is not up to you. It's not up to circumstances. It's not negotiated with other people or outcomes. It has nothing to do with the outcomes we may or may not see. Then we can get on with forging meaningful connections with each other and meaningful work in the world. Your worthiness comes from the Lord. Your sense of belonging has to be settled like in solitude with God where you hear the voice of heaven saying, you are my beloved child. That's settled. Actually, Henry Nouwen has a fabulous illustration about just like three needs that are inside of us. Uh, And he describes it like a bike wheel. That inside of you, you have these needs for three things, solitude, community, ministry. Ministry, purpose, vocation, you know, you're outworking in the world of yourself. But he says most of us start with what are we going to be about in the world, the ministry aspect. And he says that's like the outside of the wheel is ministry. The spokes are community. The hub, the middle, the center is solitude. He says most people start out here, and they're like, what am I going to do? And then once I figure that out, I'll figure out, like, who I'm going to do it with, like, people and community and stuff. And if I get around to it, if I have the time, I'll do solitude. I'll do that, that silence thing with the Lord. <laughs> Henry and I was like, no, 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 no. Flip that around entirely. Start first with solitude, where you hear the voice of heaven, where your worthiness is not negotiated with other people or outcomes or what you do or circumstances. Your sense of worthiness is who God says, what, what God says about you, who God says you are. Like that is settled in solitude. You start there. Then you move out to community, and you find those people with whom you are seen and known and who you see and know. And then you move out to ministry. And like, well, well because of who you made me, God, and because of these people you've placed me with, you know, these people in this place at this time, what, what is the natural outworking of that into the world. It's like Henry now is like you flip the script entirely. There was a reporter once who asked Gandhi, what is the secret to happiness? <laughs> and he said three words. He said, renounce and enjoy. Renounce and enjoy. Renounce control. Enjoy God's presence. John, in our gospel reading, doubts Jesus because he's in prison. And sometimes we do too. But God is present, even in prison. Renounce your perceived need for control and embrace the grace that God gives you for today. Advent is inviting us, really, to that. Inviting us to renounce and enjoy, to renounce our perceived 
ideas of control so that we might enjoy and see what God is doing. That the blind receive sight, that the deaf hear, that the dead are being raised. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you and this Advent, there are so many different ways that we can just imagine inside of our hearts, inside of our gut, a a clenched fist that we are clenching, that we are holding on tight to control. And God, we want to relinquish. We, We want to lessen that grip. We want to relinquish control and to instead trust you, to instead enjoy you. And God, you know that this is so hard for us. I pray that you might open our eyes to see the wonder of Holland. Help us to make space for both the grief and the loss and also for the tulips and the windmills and the new friends that you are bringing right here, right now, in this exact place, in this exact time. And God, I pray for those who may be really deeply in a place of, oh, but God, I didn't expect this. I didn't plan this. Would your grace, God, would your mercy, would your comfort be ever-present? Would you give us eyes to see how you are here too? Help us all to take up Advent's invitation to find you, God, in the unexpected places in our lives as we wait and as we pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.